afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hodnell. This is the Ken Hodnell Show. <coughs> Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Well, as you can hear from my voice, I still have whatever this is. Seems to be getting worse. Today is January the 11th, 11th day of the year. The uh, only 354 days remain to the years over with. The year 532, Nico riots in Constantinople. There's a quarrel between supporters of different chariot teams, the Blues and the Greens, and the Hippodrome, which escalates into violence, similar to football in England. In 630, the conquest of Mecca, Prophet Muhammad, his followers conquered the city and the Quraysh Association of Clans surrenders. 930, sack of Mecca by the Quramatians. 1055, Theodora is crowned Empress of the Byzantine Empire, which was the original Eastern Roman Empire. 1158, Vladislaus II, Duke of Bohemia, becomes the King of Bohemia. 1569, it's the first recorded lottery in England. 1654, the Arayuco War. Spanish army is defeated by the local Mapuche Milices as it tries to cross the Bueno River in southern Chile. 1759, the first American life insurance company, the Corporation for Relief of Poor and Distressed Presbyterian Ministers and the Poor and Distressed Widows and Children of the Presbyterian Ministers, now part of the Unum Group, is incorporated in Philadelphia. 1779, Ching Thang, Kumba is crowned King of Manipur. 1787, William Herschel discovers Titania and Oberon, the two moons of Uranus. 1805, the Michigan Territory is created. 1861, American Civil War. Alabama succeeds from the U.S. on this date. 1863, American Civil War. The three-day Battle of Arkansas Post concludes as General John McClernand uh, and Admiral David Dixon Porter capture Fort Hindman and secure control of the Arkansas River for the Union. Also in 1863, the CSS Alabama, a raider, encounters the sinks USS Hatteras off Galveston Lighthouse in Texas. The uh, the Alabama was a screw sloop of war, built in 1862 for the Confederacy. Built uh, in Birkenhead on the River Mercy opposite Liverpool. It was a successful commerce raider, attacked Union merchant naval ships over the course of her two-year career. Sunk in June of 1864 by the USS Kearsarge at the Battle of Cherbourg outside the port of Cherbourg, France. Which caused a major international incident, which the Union very conveniently just ignored. 1979, Anglo-Zulu War Begins. 1908, Grand Canyon National Monument is created. 
1912, immigrant textile workers in Lawrence, Massachusetts go on strike when wages are reduced in response to a mandated shortening of the work week. 1914, the Carluke flagship of the Canadian Arctic Expedition sank after being crushed by the ice. 1917, the Kingsland Munitions Factory explosion occurs as a result of sabotage. Uh, it was a munitions factory in Lyndhurst, New Jersey. The explosion was during World War I. An arbitration commission in 1931 determined uh, uh, there's evidence that the fire was not caused by a German agent. However, in 1953, Germany paid $50 million in reparations to the U.S. over that explosion. Nineteen twenty-two, Leonard Thompson becomes the first person to be injected with insulin. Nineteen twenty-three, occupation of the Ruhr. Troops from France and Belgium occupy the Ruhr area to force Germany to make its World War One reparation payments. Nineteen twenty-seven, Lee B. Mayer, head of film studio Metro Golden Mayer, announces the creation of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Scientists at a banquet in Los Angeles, California. 1935, Amelia Earhart becomes the first person to fly solo from Hawaii to California. 1942, World War II, Japanese forces capture Kuala Lumpur, the capital of the Federated Malay States. Also in 1942, Japanese forces attack Tarakan in Borneo, Netherlands, uh, Indies, uh, at the Battle of Tarakan. 1943, the Republic of China agrees to the Sino-British New Equal Treaty and the Sino-American New Equal Treaty. Also in 43, Italian-American anarchist Carlo Tresca is assassinated in New York City. 1943, he was an Italian-American newspaper editor, uh, orator and labor organizer, and an, and an activist, leader of the industrial workers of the world during the 1910s. He was a leading public opponent of fascism, Stalinism, and mafia infiltration of trade unions. He was from Italy, of course. Editor of the Italian Socialist Newspaper and Secretary of the Italian Federation of Railroad Workers before he came to the U.S. in 1904. 1946, Enver Haksa, Secretary General of the Communist Party of Albania, declares the People's Republic of Albania with himself, of course, as head of state. 1949, the first network television broadcast took place and as KDKA-TV in Pittsburgh goes on the air, connecting uh, the East Coast and Midwest programming. 1957, the African Convention is founded in Dakar, Senegal. 1959, 36 people are killed and Lufthansa Flight 502 crashes on approach to Rio de Janeiro Galileo International Airport in Brazil. 1961, the Throngs Neck Bridge over the East River, linking New York City's boroughs of the Bronx and the Queens, opens the road traffic. 1962, the Cold War, while tied to its Pirin the Soviet submarine B-37 is destroyed when a fire breaks out in its torpedo compartment. 1962, an avalanche on Huascaran in Peru causes about 4,000 deaths. 1964, Surgeon General of the U.S., Dr. Luther Terry, publishes the 
Landmark report, Smoking and Health, report of the Advisory Committee on, to the Surgeon General of the U.S., and that report said that smoking may be hazardous to the health, uh, sparking national worldwide anti-smoking efforts. 1966, the Tbilisi Metro is opened. 1972, East Pakistan renames itself Bangladesh. 1973, Major League Baseball owners vote to approve the American League adopting the designated hitter position. 1963, I'm sorry, 1983, United Airlines Flight 2885 crashes after takeoff from Detroit Metropolitan Airport. Killed three people. 1986, the Gateway Bridge in Brisbane, Queensland, Australia is officially opened. 1994, Irish government announces the end of a 15-year broadcasting ban on the IRA and its political arm, Shine Finn. 1995, 51 people are killed in a plane crash in Maria La Baja, Colombia. 1996, the Space Shuttle Endeavour is launched on mission STS-72. They were sent to retrieve the Spanish Space Flyer Unit. I'm sorry, the Japanese Space Flyer Unit. 1998, over 100 people are killed in the city of Hamed in Algeria. It took place on the night of January 11th, last day of Ramadan, in the town of City Hamed, 30 miles south of Algiers. 50 gunmen are estimated to have attacked children and adults bombed a cafe where films are being watched in a mosque in nearby Aochi Sarui, killing those that, uh, who fled and entered houses to kill those inside. According to official figures, 103 people were killed and 70 injured, including two pro-government fighters and five of the attackers. Other sources say the death toll was far higher, far higher AFP proposed, uh, supposedly counted uh, 120 corpses, and some Algerian newspapers claim 400. 30 girls were supposed to have been kidnapped. Massacre was generally blamed on the armed Islamic group of Algeria. One newspaper claimed that survivors blamed it on the Islamic Salvation Front. Um, no one was ever prosecuted for it. 2003. Illinois government George Ryan commutes the death sentence of 167 prisoners on Illinois' death row based on the John Byrd scandal. Now, John Burge was an American police detective commander in the Chicago Police Department. He was found guilty of directly participated in or implicitly approved the torture of at least 118 people in police custody in order to force false confessions. An Army veteran, Bird served tours in South Korea and Vietnam. When he came back to the south side of Chicago, began a career as a, poli- a city police officer, uh, wound up as a commander. Following the shooting of several Chicago law enforcement officers in 82, the police obtained confessions that uh, contributed to the conviction of two people. He died in uh, 2018 at the age of 70. 
uh, one of those that was tortured into confessing uh, filed a civil suit in 89 against Burge and others for police torture and cover-up. Burge was acquitted in 89 because of a hung jury, suspended from the police department in 91 and fired in 93. In 2002, a four-year review revealed numerous indictable crimes and other improprieties, but uh, there were no indictments brought against Burge or his officers. Statute of limitations for those crimes had expired. But in 2003, Governor George Ryan pardoned uh, four of Burge's victims who were on death row and whose convictions are based on coerced confessions. Two thousand eight, Patrick Fitzgerald, U.S. Attorney for Northern Illinois, charged Burge with obstruction of justice and perjury in relation to testimony in a two thousand three civil suit against him for damages for alleged torture. Burge was convicted on all counts in twenty ten and sentenced to four and a half years in federal prison. Released in twenty fourteen, he dies. I said he died in uh, twenty eighteen at the age of seventy. 2013, one French soldier and 17 militants were killed in a failed attempt to free a French hostage in Boulogne-Marrera, Somalia. And in 2020, COVID-19 pandemic in Hubei, municipal health officials in Wuhan announced the first recorded death from COVID-19. All righty. Okay, we're going to talk about some more uh, haunted uh, hospitals. What we're going to start out with is uh, the Danvers State Insane Asylum in Danvers, Massachusetts. Now, the the four-story building could easily be the set of a gothic horror film. It sits on top of a hill. Make the perfect lair for a mad scientist like Victor Frankenstein. Originally known as the Castle on the Hill, it went on to acquire a darker reputation as the years passed. It became known as the Haunted Castle or the Witch's Castle. Those names were applied to it by uh, the local residents. If you look through the across the years, a keen student of history will discover that the uh, town of Danvers once went by a different name. It was known as Salem Village. The same Salem Village that was to become the scene of one of the most brutal and terrifying episodes of American history. Salem Witch Trials, which took place in 1692. Now, during the 21st century, the, some Christians believe that Satan existed as a kind of abstract force for evil, working behind the scenes to accomplish his goals. But to the pastoral folk of Salem Village in the late 1600s, <coughs> the devil and his demon army were believed to be very real, physical creatures who were thought to stalk the darkness preying on the unwary and always ready to attack the righteous if the mood should take them. 
300 years ago, fire, brimstone, and damnation were at the forefront of the the average American's mind. There were no horror movies to serve as entertainment. Horror was thought to be very real and hiding just out of sight in the mist. When you considered the atmosphere of constant fear, which served as a backdrop for everyday life, she comes no surprise at all that the first rumors of witchcraft that were whispered by the townsfolks uh, were spread with all the terrifying rapidity and hunger for violence of a wildfire. This was all begun by the increasing bizarre behavior of two girls who took to throwing fits and hurling objects and screeching violently and twisting their bodies into the most bizarre shapes. Now the village doctor examined the girls confessed as possible that it was not long before the symptoms began to take hold in some of the other women in Sarum Village. Uh, historians have decided that uh, the girls' strange behavior may have been the result of hallucinogenic chemicals. Where they may have obtained them is anybody's guess. You know, seeking convenient scapegoats for the outbreak of unnatural maladies, the villagers soon began to point the finger at a trio of unpopular women. They decided they were witches, in league with the devil and his horde of satanic minions. As the allegations against these three women became increasingly outrageous, such as conducting sexual liaisons with demonic creatures, a number of townsfolks from Salem Village surrounding area rose up to challenge the accusers only to be immediately branded as witches themselves. These witches are firmly believed to be causing farmers' crops to suffer blight, illnesses, and maladies before they befall, to befall fellow villagers, even causing people to die in some cases. Well, the Inquisition now begun to gather steam, and the arrest continued throughout that long, hot summer of 1692. And those arrested now included men as well as women. And as juries began to find the defendants guilty, the first execution started to take place. And although still under the rule of the British crown, the hysteria was now the true king of Salem Village. The most brutal and vicious forms of torture were employed in order to extract confessions until, half crazed with the agonies depicted on by their tormentors, the the accused would confess to literally anything in order to make the pain stop. Now the Hollywood movies have firmly cemented the image of accused witches being burned at the stake into the public uh, mind. The truth of the matter is most were hung. Of the 140 accused of witchcraft in Salem Village and the surrounding area, 19 will go to the gallows and pay the ultimate price after the Hangman's noose was placed around their necks. One unfortunate soul, Giles Corey, finally refused to declare his innocence or his guilt. He refused to enter any plea before the court. And as the law of the time stated, the offender didn't enter a plea, couldn't be tried to work around, uh, used to prevent the presumably guilty defendants from escaping the clutches of justice, was a very barbaric practice known as pressing. He was stripped naked, made to lay down on the floor with a solid wooden plank on top of it. And strong men would load a succession of heavy weights, usually boulders, on top of the wooden surface until the 
accumulated weight was unbearably heavy. And to make it worse, the victim was placed on a starvation diet. The pressing went on to the victim either confessed to his crimes or died. Very similar to what's happening today with the trials of President Trump. It's practically impossible to imagine the agony endured by Cor- uh, Giles Corey, already in his seventh uh, decade of life. During the two days that he spent being pressed in an attempt to make him confess to practicing witchcraft, when his torturers came back repeatedly to try and extract a confession, the stubborn old man uh, simply demanded they add more weight. Men even stood on top of the plank, adding their own body mass to that of the rocks, crushing him to the earth. He eventually died without ever making a confession. Very disappointing to the prosecutors. Local legend has it the apparition of Giles Corey seen walking the graveyard on Howard Street in the city of Salem. That's different than uh, Salem Village. Salem Village is now Danvers. Um, but he's seen whatever a tragedy or disaster is due to befall the city. For example, the apparition of an old man was reported to be drifting through the cemetery by the end of June 1914. Shortly after that, the great fire of Salem tore through the city, destroyed almost 1,400 buildings. By the spring of 1693, the hysteria subsided and it was over. Restitution was ultimately paid by the state of Massachusetts to those accused who had survived. Now, the state of Massachusetts never formally apologized for the Salem Woods trials until 1957. And even then, not all the accused were named by the state. Finally, more than 300 years later, in 2001, the governor of Massachusetts signed a resolution that declared all those accused of witchcraft were found innocent. Closing the books in one of the most tragic and shameful chapters of American history. And we're going to take a pause because I forgot to uh, mention the birthday. January 8th. I'm born in 1935. I'm talking about none other than Elvis Aaron Presley. Known as the king of rock and roll. Born in Tupelo, Mississippi. Wide spot in the road. Died at age 42, 1977. And he died at Graceland. In the bathroom of all places. Had a heart attack. Part of the problem was um, excessive weight and the pills he used to pop. Did 50 plus movies and used to enjoy watching them. And at the death of um, Lisa Marie Presley, Priscilla get, got a million dollars. And her son, Navarone Garibaldi, got the extent. Well, 
You know, Elvis lived. He'd have been 88 this year. Now. And Elvis's granddaughter got uh, sole ownership of uh, Graceland. Alrighty. All that having been said, we were talking about the uh, Danvers State Insane Asylum. And as I said, um, Danvers, before it changed its name, used to be known as Salem Village, where the witchcraft trials took place. Now, you know, one of the key players in the uh, Salem Witchcraft Trials was the judge who got a little uh, zealous named John Hathorne. Had no mercy in his soul for the likes of those who were brought before him on charges of witchcraft. He's another one that believes that accusation equals guilt. He was appointed chief examiner of the witch trials. He was a cruel man. I wanted all decide on the guilt that he accused before they ever set foot in his court. And it speaks clearly of his character that in the aftermath of the Salem Witch Trials, many of those who had taken part, willingly or not, offered up apologies and expressed remorse for what he had done. Hathorne uh, was unrepentant. You came before him, you were going to be found guilty. Admittedly, some of Hathorne's... Uh, Negative uh, image comes from his less than sympathetic uh, portrayal in Arthur Miller's play The Crucible. But even a cursory read of the Salem Witchcraft Trial documents show the fiction didn't fall far from the, the tree. John Hatham was a landowner of the, the hill in Salem Village that also bore his name, and that's where he built his house in 1646. And the Salem Witches were executed on the Gallus Hill, and though Hathorne Hill was not actually Gallus Hill, what is known for sure is the site of John Hathorne's old house would be the same ground up which the haunted hospital be built, the Danvers State Hospital. When it opened, it was a million and a half dollars to build, an unbelievable amount of money. It took four years to build. It took its first payments in in 1878. Males had one wing, females had another wing, and for prison was considered to be severely disturbed. Uh, and by that, they meant potentially violent or dangerous to themselves or others. They were put in the care of a specially dedicated wing. Now, the Denver State Asylum was sufficiently big to merit its own dedicated power station to supply all its uh, power needs. Water was brought in from a nearby pond. And as the years passed, the complex grew in size, both above ground and below. Massive network of underground tunnels linked up most of the buildings, built in a spoken wheel design. Central Hub being the main administrative building known as the Kirkbride Building. And the Kirkbride style of architecture, named after the uh, psychiatrist Thomas Kirkbride, was extremely popular during the late 19th century. Many American insane asylums are built along similar lines. 
Each wing was offset from its neighbor so that residents got plenty of sunlight and fresh air. At least that was the theory. The dank and cold tunnel network that interconnected these wings and accessory buildings was intended to keep the asylum uh, functioning when the heavy snows of winter started to fall, which potentially could cut Danvers State uh, insane asylum off from the outside world. Food and laundry and necessities of institutionalized life could still be brought in uh, underground. The professional of mental health care reached a crisis point during the Depression era. Kirk Bright facilities such as Danvers State were designed and built to accommodate no more than five or 600 patients, maybe, if necessary, as much as 700. But as the influx of mental patients showed no sign of slowing down, more than 2,000 were crammed into the confines of this Massachusetts asylum. What became an all-too-common story, the limited number of staff were simply unable to cope effectively with the sheer volume of overcrowding that was taking place. Stories of horrible experimental surgeries and other treatments lent to place an air of fear, so much so that H.P. Uh, Lovecraft used Danvers State Hospital as his inspiration for the infamous Arkham Sanatorium in his horror fiction series. You know, paranormal phenomena that spans the entire spectrum of activities has been reported at Danvers State over the course of its lifetime. <coughs> such as the apparition of a mature lady witnessed by the children of the hospital administrator in the attic of their home, for example. One of those children was known to suffer the terrifying experience of witnessing the sheets and comforter being dragged forcefully from her bed by some unseen force. Doors throughout the asylum complex were seen to open and close, apparently their own accord. When Danvers State was abandoned, passers-by reported flickering lights in the vacant windows. Now, whether generally paranormal or caused by the multitude of ghost haunting teams that, uh, ghost hunting teams, I'm sorry, I can't read my own handwriting, that descended on the place is impossible to say. Of course, harder to explain are the accounts of disembodied footsteps echoing through the building that no living person, uh, was seen to have made. And while phantom footsteps are bad enough, of even greater concern are the shouts and wails and screams that have been heard issuing from Thin air within the long-abandoned basements and tunnels at Danvers. Maybe a ghostly echo of the misery that once pervaded the asylum. And nor were the remains of Danvers Hospital without their ghostly apparitions. Most common sightings involve spectral patients who have been witnessed both inside the building and walking through the grounds outside. According to local folklore, the faces of some of the asylum's poor, tormented souls are sometimes seen peering out from the windows of certain haunted rooms. Uh, one paranormal in investigator with 30 years of experience uh, with the Rhode Island Paranormal Research Society witnessed some incredible sights when called in to investigate a haunting. He said, Our investigations involved everything from the ridiculous to things nightmares are made of. Debunking paranormal activity is uh, actually everyday human experience that a rare and extremely extreme state of demonic possession. And although this investigator officially retired to field a paranormal investigation in 2013, he looks back on the genesis of the Rhode Island Paranormal Research Society with, uh, with absolute clarity. And then only because of the 
the date, which was September 11th, 1984, but because the whole thing began as a result of a bet. He said the society was founded September 11th, 1984 as a result of a wager between myself and three others. They were all college students, except for him, uh, highly interested in researching and investigating paranormal activity. This is long before the days when such activities even close to being acceptable. And we're among a long list of social taboos. And he was a hardcore disbeliever in such things. Well, he and his friends got into a heated but friendly debate regarding ghosts. And the debate resulted in a wager that either they would prove to him the existence of ghosts or they wouldn't bring the subject up again. They needed to take him to a place that was truly haunted. Uh, basically, his attitude was put up or shut up. And the winner of the bet would receive a case of Budweiser. Well, the others said they knew a place and they were planning on going there that evening. An hour later, they were on the grounds that he officially closed the asylum and talking to a, a friend of theirs, a security guard. And after parking uh, uh, the car they came in out of sight, they opened the uh, friend who was a security guard opened a side door to a building that uh, once housed what was called the Excitable Ward. Well, the investigator was creeped out just being in the powerless building had an unshakable feeling of oppression the moment he stepped through the door. This building had been among the first to be decommissioned quite some time back. Paint and plaster chips riddled the floor. Well, they went up the stairwell uh, where they broke, uh, split up. Two went one way and two went to the second floor where a heavy steel and wire door was partially open. In the hallway were rooms or actually looked like cells with some of their padded doors open every 10 or so feet along the entire length of the hallway. Seemed like hours had passed when uh, the individual that became uh, so experienced as a paranormal investigator from having been a uh, disbeliever uh, saw an older man dressed in white patient's attire walk out of the cell three doors down. Suddenly stopped mid-stride, looked at them, and walked back into a cell, barely making it by the room's door. Well, the uh, the disbeliever said, you're kidding me, right? And he ran to the doorway and jerked the door open, expecting to find the, the ghost hiding in the room. What he found was an empty cell. The man he had seen go in the door was nowhere to be found. There's only one way in or out and no place to hide. The room was freezing cold in stark contrast to the very warm, even humid air in the hallway just a few feet away. Well, his friend stood in the doorway, looked at him with concern about how he was acting. He denied seeing anything. Uh which, of course, freaked out the uh, the disbeliever. And it was then that it hit the man who had seen the ghost that uh, his footsteps didn't make any crackle, any sound whatsoever. 
Well. When they got back to their home. Because none of the others reported seeing anything out of the ordinary. After sharing the. Uh, the bet. The case of beer. A few hours of kicking the, the topic around. The Rhode Island Paranormal Research Group was born. And uh, the man who retired after 30 years of experience as a ghost investigator went from a hardcore disbeliever to a passionate believer. Well, in analyzing the apparition of the patient looking directly at the investigator and it looks like he encountered an intelligent, what's known as an intelligent haunting. One is aware of his presence. Something more than a simple recording or imprint of a long dead patient's image on the atmosphere of the building. They went on to investigate the entire complex at Danvers. Not only the buildings still left standing above ground, but the maze of tunnels that went uh, through the earth beneath them. Phenomenally encountered there included. Uh, Team members being shoved, unseen forces, uh, followed by echoing footsteps of an invisible stalker, recording sounds of crying and even some rather angry threats on their tape recorders. One of the most active hotspots was the crematorium. Uh, he said there are some places that, uh, despite the activities of organizations seen in uh, so-called reality TV, are meant to be left their own. Psychiatric hospitals located in Danvers was absolutely one of those places. It's a place that took a chilling hold on you and all too often demanded a high price for the intrusion. <coughs> Having witnessed firsthand, he said it, he often still refers to the Danvers Lunatic Asylum as a place that embodied the spider and the fly scenario. He said, never mind the buildings that are made up. Uh, the psychiatric hospital's complex. Just entering the grounds was enough to give you that ominous chill of warning to smarten up and leave while you had the chance. Well, as the years turned to decades, the funding for Danvers State Hospital started to dry out. One by one, like dominoes falling, the hospital administrators were forced to begin cutting back on beds and closing down wards. By 1992, the final patients were gone and moved to other institutions across the state. Danvers was eventually abandoned. It's always in rooms deserted and dark, left to slowly fade away. 2001 horror movie Session 9 will be filmed in and around Danvers, making effective use of the abandoned old asylum as the backdrop for a tale of psychological terror. Also serve as an inspiration for video games and novels, all with a distinctly spooky or macabre flavor. And as its honored reputation began to grow, the location began to attract other groups of paranormal researchers. One such investigator that wandered the interiors of Danvers in search of answers to one of the stars of the Sci-Fi Channel's uh, show, uh, Haunted Collector, Brian Cano, worked with his team from the show Scared. Um, he said, uh, with any such place, talking about Danvers. One goes into it with an expectation. 
The locale is not unknown. It's a site of pain and confusion and suffering and death. Could it be that we brought those feelings with us? Perhaps. Maybe we picked up on the remnants of its former inhabitants. Maybe it's a little bit of both. The place was quiet, though. That being said, maybe that allowed our own feelings about being there to dominate. Dantwism was coming apart at the seams at the time of their visit, crumbling and rotting away. There were gaping holes in the ceilings and floorboards, uh, which required uh, treading carefully on the creaking wooden staircases that made their way slowly into the building. And many of the rooms were in a state of complete collapse. He said we came prepared, there were no close calls, but on every floor and in every room we had to be wary. And as the night went on, we got tired. It became harder to avoid danger spots. Luckily, they all came away unscathed. Nonetheless, things only became truly concerning once the crew tried to leave. It was a common practice of urban explorers to identify the rooms and corridors that had been passed, using a piece of chalk to mark the doors and walls with a cross or some other recognizable symbol. And the crew of Scared was no exception. Even a trail of chalk in their wake like a lifeline so they could follow it going back out. He said the place was amazed and all the floors and hallways resembled each other. And as our fatigue grew, so did our disorientation. In a place like that, chalk is part of Urban Exploration 101. Despite that, though, they still got lost on the way out. At some key intersections, it looked like their chalk was being removed. They never found out who or what did it. So the, the question became, is there a rational explanation for the chalk disappearing? Short of there being an intruder in the building that they didn't know about. But no one's been able to come up with anything that made any sense. Another phenomenon that might be at first seem quite creepy is that it has a perfectly natural cause. Odd pockets of heat seem to pop up frequently inside the old hospital. At one point following uh, the team as they went on their journey. A viewer of the show suggested structural decay was causing a slow release and accumulation of gases inside the old building. And as they moved through the building, the subsequently circulating air currents would carry the warmer gas pockets along with them. And as the former hospital became increasingly dilapidated, the next step was depressively inevitable, demolition. But despite the best efforts of those who wanted to save the historic location, the buildings were on the National Register of Historic Places. The wrecking balls soon began to batter the brick walls. Apartment buildings were built on the site, but they were gutted by a massive overnight fire that took hold in 2007. You can find uh, numerous photos on the internet of the Inferno, which can be seen from miles away. Well, in the aftermath of the fire, the luxury apartments were rebuilt and uh, still stand on the site of the old Danvers State Hospital. The facade of the once mighty main Kirkbride building still remains and been given a significant facelift due to renovation process. Unbeknown to most people, there's another remnant of the days when Danvers was a functional mental institution hidden away behind the trees on the perimeter of the complex. There's a cemetery. Human remains of several hundred, uh, and without doing serious excavations, no uh, way to tell exactly how many, 
from when patients of Danvers State uh, lie at rest in a burial ground that's tucked discreetly out of sight and out of mind of the current inhabitants. Each and every inhabitant buried there is certified insane by the state of Massachusetts. And many of the graves don't bear a name, simply an anonymous-looking marker that describes with a number. Well, you might hope the tormented souls who resided within the brick walls of the Danvers State Hospital, whether they happen to be generally insane or unjustly locked away from the eyes of everyday society, have now finally found some peace. So the question become, was the Danvers State Hospital generally one of the world's most haunted hospitals? And according to uh, Mr. Cano, everywhere is haunted. Everything is energy. We're energy. That remains is everywhere. Certain places have a higher concentration of energy, and those are the places considered haunted. So is it one of the most haunted hospitals? Yeah, there's others that run a close second. For example, Grace Hospital in Calgary, Canada. Located in the southern part of the province of Alberta, where two rivers come together, the city of Calgary has grown from a small 19th century settlement into a bustling 21th century metropolitan that's home to over a million Canadians. And that's no small part due to the role played by the city in the oil and gas industries, both of which uh, it possesses in abundance. It's a bustling hub of the arts, commerce, and higher education. Grace Hospital is one of the several hospitals that serve the health care needs of Calgary citizens. And rumors began to circulate about one of the second floor obstetrics rooms used for the delivery of babies, uh, that that room is haunted. According to a story that's still making the rounds today, the apparition of a mournful woman cradling a ghostly child in her arms had often been seen in that particular labor and delivery room. As the restless spirit of a mother who died in childbirth along with her child and is known to, to open windows and bang on walls and pipes. Now, any mother who goes into labor in a haunted room would suffer the most dreadfully complicated birth, or at least according to the story, requiring an obstetrician to remove the baby by a cesarean section. And the land in which Grace Hospital was built was once the homestead of this young lady's family. She died while giving birth in the rooms of that original house lingers after her death out of fear that the young women delivering babies in what used to be her room would meet the same tragic fate as she did. Others report that the ghost in question is was actually a nurse. Well, this is where fact and fantasy merge, combining into a tale that is a curious mix of truth and fiction. To this day, the ghost is still claimed by some to be that of a philanthropist named uh, Maudine. Uh, last name Riley, also known as Maud. School teacher who was also a pillar of the community in her day. A highly influential figure in the area of nurturing and protecting children. Founded the Calgary Childhood Welfare Society in 1918. She is a member of no less than 30 organizations devoted to betterment of federal, 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 one more time, fellow human beings. Although the closest to her heart was the care nurturing of children. She was known to say children should be well-born, well-treated, well-housed, well-fed, and well-taught. And she lived that credo in her everyday life. She 
She worked tirelessly to pursue her goal, to enrich the lives of disadvantaged children. One possible reason for her fierce drive is that one of her three pregnancies was a touch-and-go affair. Very nearly killed her and the child in the process. It's been speculated Ma's burning desire to protect children and mothers originated from this difficult birth. And therein lies the first major problem with the story and the reason why the ghostly mother of Grace Hospital can't be mobbed uh, Riley because she never died in childbirth. She, in fact, wanted to live to a respectable old age. She didn't die in 1962 and far too old to be the ghostly mother who haunted a delivery room. But like all good stories, this one does contain a grain of truth. Was once the maternity ward at Grace Hospital has since become part of the Health Resource Center. Known as the Riley Park Healthcare, the new renovated third floor of Calgary's old Grace Hospital is actually comfy, according to uh, Canadian Medical Association Journal in 1998. Its soothing color schemes, oak and brass trim, and carpeted floors complement three state-of-the-art operating rooms, 37 beds, eight day surgery beds, and six post-op recovery beds. In fact, all this makes the Health Resource Center look like the hospital of your dreams. It comes with many more creature comforts than the old Grace, whose cold marble buildings and harsh fluorescent lights are testament to a time when hospitals were indeed cold, harsh institutions. Riley Park Health Center is so named because of the park situated across the street from it, which is named after the Riley family. They donated it to the city of Calgary in 1904. And they did provide the land upon which Grace Hospital later be built. But that doesn't explain the identity of the mysterious maternal ghost. Paranormal Studies and Investment Investigations Canada, or PSI Can, collects accounts of hauntings of the paranormal activity, including the ghostly going zone at both the old Grace Hospital and the newer Riley Park Health Center that went on to replace it. One security guard... Uh, talked about his early experiences at Grace during the mid-1990s. Although the second floor was shut down at that time, first and third floor still contained patients. Another security guard warned him about the ghostly activity that took place in the hospital, but he blew it off. He made a habit of heading up to the now-abandoned maternity floor and watching one of his favorite TV shows, The Patient Lounge pulling up a chair to catch the latest installment of Star Trek Voyager. After the show, he'd put the chair back in its place, turn the TV off, and go back on patrol. Only the guard and the building engineer had keys to gain access to the locked-up second floor. As he walked along the old maternity ward, he suddenly became aware of a smell that was all too familiar. He said, I recognize it because of my wife here. A year earlier, while driving her to the hospital, she was pregnant and water broke in their car. She said, I remember it was the same smell of embryonic fluid, but in my head I knew there was no more births performed there and it had been months since they locked up the floor. Making his way back to the TV room, he must have been more than a little disconcerted to hear voices. Walking back, he found the TV was turned back on a chair he had put away was sitting squarely in front of it once more, but he hadn't done it. There was nobody else on the deserted second floor. Calling his backup security partner, 
he was told that the building engineer was down in the base working on something. Hadn't been up to the second. The second guard didn't have a set of keys. The guard he called suggested the ghost to play a game with him. Wasn't long before that mysterious prankster struck again. Summoned back to the security desk by his partner, he was less than happy to see a call security alarm was summoning the operating room too. When he inspected the operating room, he found that the call security button had been physically pushed in, something that no mere mechanical failure could explain. Electrical short circuits might be a reasonable explanation, but until one considers the fact that electricity shorting is incapable of actually pushing a button. Resetting, and he went back to the security desk. When he made it part way back before his radio came to life with another call security alarm coming from operating room one. He ran, hoping to catch this practical joker in the act, but when he got to operating room one, he found the call button depressed and no sign of anybody anywhere. Of course, it might be a coincidence. Both operating rooms are directly across the hall from the TV room where he spent so much happy time. Well, not knowing what else to do, the the guard addressed the air. He said, look, I know you might feel lonely as all the mothers and babies are gone. I'm sorry you feel that way, but I got a job to do. My job uh, is to take care of this place and keep it safe, so I'm asking you, don't keep calling us up here. We need to do our jobs. Well, the security guards weren't bothered by ghostly activity after that. He said, I've never seen a ghost there. Only what I've testified about. Hospital does have many eyes, as I never felt alone. Like I was always being watched, no matter where I went. Well, maybe the call security alarm pusher was a sad and lonely maternal spirit seen by multiple staff and patients on the maternity floor. Desperate for company now that the constant flow of expectant mothers, newborn babies has stopped. But the only thing you can take from this that you can take to the bank is that somebody had to have been pushing those buttons. And just because the old hospital is closed down, replaced with a newer, more modern facility in the form of a health resource center, doesn't mean the ghost went anywhere. In fact, quite the opposite. If the account of a patient undergoing back surgery is to be believed. Turning to walk back into their room... The patient was surprised to find the figure of a dark-haired woman sitting in one of the chairs. Based on her white uniform, the patient was reasonably, uh, quite reasonably assumed it was the member of the nursing staff. A little flustered at finding a nurse sitting in the room, he paused and looked again and found the nurse had disappeared. Yeah, he had a restless night after that, disturbed by the nagging feeling that the mysterious nurse uh, returned to the room. Not only did it seem that somebody invisible was sitting on the bed with him, but they also experienced a disconcerting sensation of an invisible touch on their skin throughout the night. Yeah, it wasn't until the next morning when the patient heard nurses talk about the phantom sister reputed to haunt that particular part of the building that he put two and two together. In this particular case, the story held the nurse roamed the halls of the hospital in search of the baby she'd lost at childbirth. She died in the process of delivering it. Flesenberg nurses on the ward to collect the blame lost items equipment on a ghostly colleague. 
Now, the patient later said, I'm absolutely certain I saw a lady in my room. She was gone seconds later. And I definitely felt somebody sitting on my bed, and I had my eyes open. I didn't make it up. It's a real experience. Well, we may never know who the ghost on the second floor, uh, the identity of that ghost. But there's no reason to believe she stopped walking the floor just yet. And on that note, we come to the end of today's show. We'll be back tomorrow. And once again, you'll be listening to Ken Hudnall and the Ken Hudnall Show. Until then, have a truly great evening.